Do you still hold resentments over past wrongs? Are you the type that holds on to a judge? <clears throat> holds on to... <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. I by the tail. <laughs> Are you the type that holds on to a grudge? How do we learn to let go of resentments in our program? Welcome to episode 196 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Michael, Penelope, and Lucy. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Michael, Penelope, and Lucy, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we'd like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you'll find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I will be host today, and joining me is co-host Eric. Welcome. Hi, Spencer. Uh, good to hear your voice, but I can of it. Flipping out of that. Yes, Eric's referring to the fact that we're having a little bit of technical difficulty in our, our connection, um, but uh, should be coming through to you okay. So we're going to go ahead. So I wanted to start with a reading from our daily reader, Courage to Change. This is from June 26th. Forgiveness can be just a change of attitude. I came to Al-Anon full of bitterness toward the alcoholic in my life. When I realized that my bitterness hurt me more than anyone else, I began to search for another way to view my situation. In time, I came to believe that my alcoholic loved one might be the messenger my higher power used to let me know that I needed to get help. It is not fair to shackle her with credit or blame for the amount of time it took me to pay attention to that message. I chose to tolerate a great deal of unacceptable behavior because I was unwilling to admit that I needed help. I did the best I could with the tools and knowledge I had at hand, and I believe that she did too. Eventually, the message got through. I made it to the rooms of Al-Anon, and my life changed in miraculous ways. I don't deny that hurtful things were said and done along the way, but I refuse to carry the burden of bitterness any further. Instead, I am grateful for what I have learned. And the reminder brings in that word resentment. I will not allow old resentments to drag me down any longer. I am building a better and more loving life today. Although the word resentment doesn't show up until almost the end of the reading, I think if I take the word bitterness and replace it with the word resentment, the, the message reads just about the same. I think that's just really another word for resentment here. Yeah. What is your understanding of resentment? Well, I mean, the reading's pretty much nailed it. Feelings of anger, uh, blame, sometimes feelings of wanting to have, you know, revenge for wrongs that were committed against me or my children. You know, it's, it's strange how this has been working with me, with you. I, whenever um, I'm experiencing something that I need to look at, and in this case, over the last few weeks, all of a sudden, I've been feeling resentments. I suggest it, and you say, yeah, that's a great idea. So <laughs> I, I'm... I, I'm co-oping the show and, and totally for my purposes. Hey, <laughs> we did talk about resentment in episode eight, which yeah. was long enough ago that I think it's it's worth revisiting. It's a topic that really I think dealing with resentment is definitely at the core of my program. And what's interesting, 
So the word grudge, I think, also comes up when we talk about resentment. And it, it almost, I mean, to me, I don't really see a difference. Maybe a grudge is, is a type of resentment. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I was doing my first fourth step, I was using the book Paths to Recovery, which has a chapter on each step and then a set of questions. And the, that section of questions is titled Working the Step. And in the step four chapter, which is the fearless and searching moral inventory of ourselves, in that chapter, there were a lot of questions. There really were a lot of questions. Because, you know, fearless and searching, you got a, got a lot of questions. Not as many as in the Blueprint for Progress fourth step workbook. So I, I'm sort of grateful that we chose that book to do to do the steps the first time I went through them. But anyway, I'm off topic a little bit here. There is a question in there, at least one question, about grudges and resentments. At that time, I didn't think I had any. It said something like, do you carry a grudge? And I was like, no, I don't. (laughs) Well, that just shows me how much more I had to learn about myself. As I came to dig a little deeper, I found that I definitely had resentments in my life. And the biggest one, which I was totally blind to, was my resentment at my loved one for her alcoholism. Uh, but there definitely were there definitely were others, and there also had resentments against myself for things I had done in the past. And I think that may be one reason that I picked this reading that starts out talking about forgiveness, because to some extent, I see forgiveness as the antidote to resentment. Um, and I think we'll talk about that a little bit more later on. Mm-hmm. I have a definition, you know. Sure. Oh, yeah, you always have a definition. Go. Yeah. I looked it up. Uh, Wikipedia has a good one. And it says, resentment, also called ranklement or bitterness, is the foundation of hatred. Pretty interesting that it's, it's put that severely. Resentment is a mixture of disappointment, anger, and fear. It comprises the three basic emotions of disgust, sadness, and surprise. The perception of injustice. Um, the I won't, I won't read a lot further, but... But, uh, I've heard this, you know, I, I also, in preparation for our, sh- our, uh, our podcast, usually try to, <laughs> try to raise the subject at a meeting. Yeah. Um, and of course I was, as it turns out, again, I was leading in the men's group last night and for my own purposes and the purposes of preparing and hearing some other people's uh, takes on it. I know I chose resentment and some really interesting shares came out of it. Um, one of the guys in the group was fairly new, but he's a longtime member of AA. Uh, they apparently spend a lot of time talking about the subject in those rooms as well. So it's actually the origin of the word is from the French resentir, which is means the prefix re and sentir is to feel. So the word actually means to refeel, mm-hmm. to go back and feel it again and again and again. And that's how resentments get built. Interestingly, there's also a uh, facial expressions of bitterness. And there's a picture, like a profile of a guy who looks exactly like me, like about six years ago. Oh, no. <laughs> I think I could have modeled for this guy. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, of frown and a wrinkled brow. That was me. <laughs> I think that was a prior episode where we did feelings. and you know. <laughs> um, anyway, I thought that was an interesting definition. Uh, anger and contempt. Anger and contempt. And so then the next question that I, I might ask myself here is why, why are resentments a problem? I mean, why do we? Why do we need to deal with resentments? Why do we focus on resentments? And, and as you said, you know, your AA friend, 
why do they spend so much time on resentments? And I thought that it might be appropriate to look in the AA Big Book uh, about resentments. And this is from the chapter titled How It Works, where they're talking about the fourth step. And I'm going to read a bit of this, and then we'll come back to the rest of it later. It says, Resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else. From it stem all forms of spiritual disease, for we have been not only mentally and physically ill, we have been spiritually sick. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. In dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. We listed people, institutions, or principles with whom we are angry. We asked ourselves why we were angry. In most cases, it was found that our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambitions, our personal relationships, including sex, were hurt or threatened. So we were sore. We were burned up. You know, you got to remember that the language in the big book comes from 1939. Uh, but translating that into modern terms, it says, you know, when, when we have a resentment, it hurts us. It hurts us spiritually. It makes us angry. It, it makes us burned up. I love that burned up. And it starts to talk a little bit about what kind of resentments we might have and what's underneath those resentments. And, and that gets into the inventory part, which, um, like I said, I want to come back to. But why is it a problem? It's a problem because it really, in my case, it like infects my spirit and it makes me angry. And I, I think that I've said before that when I came to Al-Anon, before I came to Al-Anon, I was a very angry person. And I think a lot of that anger stemmed from resentments about, well, resentments about what? Resentments about the behavior of my loved one. Resentments about the fact that I couldn't control the behavior of my loved one, that I couldn't, you know, I couldn't make her stop drinking to be explicit. It was tearing me up inside. It was tearing me up so badly I didn't recognize it. And I identified a couple of causes uh, in the notes here. My resentments might come from anger at a past injury. And when you're in a relationship with an alcoholic, injury happens over and over and over. And so you've got plenty of opportunities to be angry about injuries that are in the recent past, the medium past, the distant past, whatever. Um, and another place where I find I can develop a resentment is when other people are not doing things the way that I think they should be doing them. They're not doing them my way. And we talk in Al-Anon about how many of us are sort of control freaks that we think we know the way the world should run and we get angry, we get resentments when, when the world doesn't run our way. And my God, the world does not run my way most of the time. And so again, plenty of opportunity to build up resentments, which of course, as I said, when I came into the program, I didn't think I had any. So how about you? I'm uh, just reading further in Wikipedia. I mean, it's, uh, it says, see also, and we can almost guess anger, cynicism, remorse, um, revenge, spite. And this is, this is one I have never heard. Post-traumatic embitterment disorder. Never heard of that? Nope. PTED. <laughs> but I think we have it, don't we? Oh, absolutely. That's what resentment is with me, post-traumatic embitterment disorder. You know, if I think about too much about resenting what the alcoholic has done to my family, I mean, I would definitely say, you know, I used to say PTSD, but embitterment disorder ties right into resentment. But each one of these uh, feelings, anger, cynicism, is a rock in my rucksack, honestly. Revenge, spite, you know, and man, I don't want to carry more than I have to. 
And uh, if I can do something to get rid of these, I'm going to be lighter and, you know, live in the moment. And and certainly resentment takes me out of today. It makes me examine the past and trying to right wrongs that can never be undone. You know, yesterday is history. Just bringing it back up and reliving it, resenting, uh, is just unhealthy. Yeah. Feeling it over and over, reliving the wounds, opening the wounds, you know, refeeling. It's just unhealthy. That's why we're talking about it. You know, get it out. Get it out. Yeah. I read that little bit from, from the AA Big Book about resentment's number one offender. And this, as I said, this is in the chapter where they're talking about doing the searching and fearless moral inventory in step four. Let me read a little bit more from the book and then um, let's talk about it. On our grudge list, so this is they're talking about a way of working step four by listing out resentments. They call it the grudge list here. On our grudge list, we set opposite each name, so each person or institution or principle that they were angry with, set opposite each name our injuries. Was it our self-esteem, our security, our ambitions, our personal or sex relations which had been interfered with? And then a little further down, referring to our list again, putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done, we resolutely looked for our own mistakes. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened. Though a situation had not been entirely our fault, we tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. Where were we to blame? The inventory was ours, not the other man's. When we saw our faults, we listed them. We placed them before us in black and white. We admitted our wrongs honestly and were willing to set these matters straight. And again, the you know the language from 1939, we might now say person rather than man, etc., but the process there of what am I resentful at? What am I angry at? What, what do I hold a grudge against? Why? What was hurt in me that is causing me to hold this, this resentment? And then the next step is towards the healing. And it is to look at what my part was in that. Because in almost any relationship, in almost any place where we're I feel hurt. I have a part. It might not be a big part. Um, but, you know, as we learned elsewhere in the program, we really can't do anything about other people's actions. We cannot change other people's actions. But we can recognize what's going on inside ourselves. And that's where there is, I think, hope for change. Yeah. To me, this is this is one reason why Listing out resentments as part of step four can be really helpful. What are your thoughts here? Well, I blogged around a little bit. And I found some good readings from other people on shares on the subject. And, you know, getting to two things. One, I, I wrote kind of, my, my resentments can range. And it's very recently that I've, I've been kind of looking at this and trying to talk it out, think it out, and just find some remedies that work for me and staying in the moment so I don't have to relive things. And I guess maybe it's because I'm also opening my program and going back to some step four meetings that I'm feeling some stuff that I haven't in a while. I'll get back to the range of resentments. But this uh, person, uh, something called through an Allen on filter, um, the topic of resentment, says, I've learned that I don't want to feel resentful. If I don't want to feel resentful, I must behave differently than I, uh, my old habit of saying nothing, people-pleasing, and stuffing my feelings. She talks on, goes on to say the concept of saying no. I've always had a challenge with saying no. I've not always, but you know, with my alcoholic in particular, uh, in the beginning, uh, 
I didn't want to cause uh, a problem. You know, I would just agree and I'd say, I'm sorry. I did, you know, whatever it took to try to keep the, the, the pot from boiling over. But she said, for a very long time, I had a problem with the idea that I don't want to was a sufficient reason. <laughs> no. Why? The whys for my daughters, for instance, they never end. There's a series of why, 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 why. Because I don't want to is actually a really good solution for that. And she suggests it there. Sorry, can I interject here a moment? I was just thinking about the way in which I can resent doing something that I didn't want to do, but I didn't say no. Exactly. That's the point. That's what I was trying to get to. Thank you. Yeah. And and you just like told that reading really highlighted that for me. And and you know, that is, that's a huge thing. Like, you know, you made me, uh-huh. you made me go buy wine for you. Um, excuse me. <laughs> uh, yeah. yep. What did I just say? Yeah. Okay. But, but I definitely, I definitely had that feeling. I had that resentment. Yeah. And, and so, you know, learning to say no can just totally prevent that particular kind of resentment from, from even starting. So now that I've interrupted, no, no, thank you. That, that's actually what I was trying to verbalize, but you did it. And uh, thanks for that. I uh, was trying to find how it connected. You did it. So my resentments, you know, when I have them, which uh, I, I've seen to for some reason in the last few weeks, they're coming up. Uh, maybe it's, and I, I believe truly in my heart that when I have an issue like this or like any, that it's my higher power saying to focus on it. There's something to be learned. And that's why I wanted to do the podcast. That's why I shared on it this week. I want to get to the root of it so I can drop it. Mm-hmm. I can unload my rucksack. So, you know, mine can range wildly in a wide leaf, and they have in the last few weeks. Anything from someone, you know, mild, like not returning a phone call uh, or not responding to an invitation that I'm taking a lot of time to prepare something nice to do for people and that someone, you know, doesn't bother to respond. You know, I could feel resentful about that. Um, to the extreme of the devastation caused by my alcoholic in my family's life. Um, I'll give you the ones that just cropped up in the last few weeks. I'll try to be brief with this, but, well, that's just one. And this one is a pretty good highlight of how I could have been resentful, and I tried not to be. Two weeks ago today, uh, my daughter started on an outward bound trip in Colorado. And yeah. It took, yeah, it took a, a year or so to get it together because it had been submarine and she wasn't sure and other medical pains and aches. And I think just terminal apathy uh, was part of the problem with her. <laughs> yeah. Teenagers. Um, yeah. Well, teenagers that grew up in alcoholism in particular, you know, isolating and feeling less than, and just not having any, if, if at all, uh, very little self-esteem thinking she couldn't do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I took to putting up some little mild post-it notes, you know, the only failure is to not try, and um, that one stayed up on the fridge long enough, so I think they saw it, and, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, like the one that says, you know, pick up after yourself, that lasts a day, but that one stayed up, you know, the only failure is to not try, and uh, the other one that stayed up was uh, happiness is a choice. But anyway, so uh, preparing for this uh, last-minute decision of hers took a Herculean effort. She decided on a Tuesday that she was going to be willing to go, and we hadn't done anything, not, you know, packed one thing or bought one thing. And the list of items needed for Outward Bound is probably 17 pages long. 
So you took yourself down to REI or EMS uh, or whatever you got there? and I think we put a 1,000 miles on the car back and forth. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of Amazon Primes, you know, with uh, mm-hmm. yeah, ex- expedited delivery. Um, <laughs> so oh, wait. We, I need this. Yeah. Forgot chapstick. Oh, God. So we'll get it at the airport. You know, after all of that, my not only trying to think of what I needed to pack, which is not much, but more so as a good codependent, everything that she has to pack that she's going to forget or not get into the bag or, you know. So all said and done, we had a friend of ours picking us up at 5.30, 5.45 Saturday morning to fly out through LaGuardia, through New York to uh, Denver. Got to rent a car and drive four hours through uh, Colorado to the far side, almost to Utah, and spend the night at the hotel where they'd leave on Sunday morning. Through the beautiful, beautiful Colorado mountains, eh? Oh, fantastic, my God. But the story begins much earlier. I'm sure we get it in does. the car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we get in the car, 545, and, you know, being a dutiful and caring father, I ran across the street and got my daughter uh, a latte or something and got muffin warmed up, a blueberry muffin. Got in the car. Oh, we're on the road. Nothing can go wrong now, right? Mm. <laughs> we virtually pulled up to the airport when I had a panic. I said, Peter? My, the driver, a friend of ours, Pete, is my wallet in that door? Uh, nope. No wallet. Uh-oh. The only thing that mattered for me, I could have survived with going to the store and getting a new pair of underwear, but I can't go without. No driver's license, yeah. no credit cards, no cash, virtually $30 in my pocket. No ID. No ID. Was about to just, you know, throw up my hands and turn around. And after a year of planning, the whole thing is scrapped because I forgot my wallet. I said, you know what? I'm going to rely on my higher power. We pulled up to uh, the curb and uh, walked over to the bag uh, guy that's taking checked baggage. I said, I got a major problem. He said, you forgot your wallet, right? I said, well, how do you know that? <laughs> he said, because it happens about five times a day. Come with me. Well, in New York, that immediately means... I put a 20 in his hand, for sure. All right. Uh, okay, that'll certainly get me through, I think, a couple of people ahead. Anyway, after much uh, much uh, negotiations and uh, finding an old wallet in my car that had enough proof that I was who I said I was, and, and a full body pat down by the TSA, that's the bad news. The good news is I got a date with Carlos from I, the TSA. I, under, I understand they're, they're doing <laughs> extreme pat downs now. Yeah, I got a date with the guy from Homeland Security. Okay. Anyway, um, we got there, and we got there and back with a lot of uh, help from my higher power. I won't go into the details, but we did. And she got off, and she's been there for now three weeks. I wasn't sure she'd last, and she wrote me a most amazing letter that I've ever read. I, I got it two days ago. Oh. I mean, just gushing with gratitude. Uh, so here comes the resentment part. Yeah, right. I was wondering okay. when we were getting to that. <laughs> I'm so, I told you I was going to try and keep it brief. So uh, uh, 10 days goes by. I'm certain it's going to turn up, right? I, I don't, you know, I called every place I thought I may have used the credit card the day before. Nobody has seen it. No no use of the card. I had a wallet stolen 20 years ago. People take the cash, throw the wallet in the bushes or the garbage can. Yeah. So I figured ah, maybe that's, I guess, what happened. So t- a full 10 days goes by under every cushion and chair, laundry, nothing. Every pair of pants and jacket in the house, in my office. I finally get all my cards replaced, and now the dreaded trip to the DMV. 
on the Wednesday afternoon last week, three hours, I have like, you know, ticket number E117, they're calling like E40. <laughs> I'm like, right. oh my God. Three hours, I get finally get my replacement license, come back. The next morning, I went to Dunkin' Donuts for the first time in 10 days. I walk in to get a coffee. The guy says, is this yours? I said, what? Of course, the cash was gone, but it was my billfold. And <laughs> I simply couldn't believe that 10 days had elapsed. I took out my driver's license and showed it to the manager. I said, you see the address on here? I said, yeah. He goes, can you look out the window? Okay, that's where I live, right there. It's 50 feet away. <laughs> you could have walked over and put it in the mailbox. <laughs> he said, well, there was no phone number. I said, but I live right there. <laughs> so... <laughs> This is what has led me to bring up the topic of resentments because I really felt I deserved a resentment there. <laughs> resentment against the Dunkin' Donuts guy. Huh? For not returning my wallet. Who doesn't return something? That, it's got everything in it. All my credit cards, my, my driver's license. Anyway, that's my resentment story about my wallet. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. boy. Mm-hmm. I had to let it go. Eli had to let it go. It was not as important to him as it was to me, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. I want to circle back a little bit. As as we were talking, I thought about, again, this resentment inventory sheet and about the example that I had. So who am I resentful at? I'm resentful at my alcoholic. Why am I resentful at my alcoholic? Because she made me go to the store and buy alcohol for her when I didn't want to. And I was all comfy sitting in my favorite chair in the evening and I had to put on my shoes and my jacket and get in the car and go to the store and buy the stuff that she was going to drink that I didn't want her to drink. And so I was just resentful at the alcohol and I was resentful at having to go buy it. Um, and what was harmed there? Well, my, <laughs> my feeling of, of comfort and security, certainly. Um, but if we go back to the why, what, what happened there? It's like, that was all on me. That was all on me. And and of course, there was some fear. And the fear was if I didn't do it, she would go get in the car drunk and something horrible would happen. But by by just writing it down, by just being explicit, I start to see where it came from. And I start to see what I might be able to do differently to not make more of those, certainly to not make more. That to me is is one reason that this is a is a good tool. Uh, not that you know I used it early on in the program, certainly, but you know maybe if I'd been in AA, I would have figured that out sooner. Who knows? But it also is is useful for doing that that inventory for finding the things that we're going to list in step five, because a lot of where I have resentments come from my own shortcomings, my own character defects. I mean, they're based on things that happened, but the fact that, that I'm holding that grudge, I can, I can trace it back to a fear. I can trace it back to a threat to, as they say, our self-esteem, our pocketbook, our ambitions, or our personal relationships, and start to see that and start to see how other people's actions and my own responses to other people's actions affect me. So it's really a good place to start. And, and just to be clear, the AA four-step inventory has several categories. The next one I think is fears. So list your fears 
and so on. Um, and I've done a fear inventory once. It was very helpful to me. The book How Elanon Works does talk about resentment. It talks about resentment in this chapter titled Detachment, Love, and Forgiveness. And so, in the section titled Forgiveness, it starts with the word resentment. Resentment will do nothing except tear us apart inside. No one ever found serenity through hatred. No one ever truly recovered from the effects of alcoholism by harboring anger or fear or by holding on to grudges. Hostility keeps us tied to the abuses of the past. Even if the alcoholic is long gone from our lives or has refrained from drinking for many years, we too need to learn to detach. We need to step back from the memories of alcoholic behavior that continue to haunt us. We begin to detach when we identify the disease of alcoholism as the cause of the behavior and recognize that our ongoing struggle with unpleasant memories is an effect of that disease. We too must find within us compassion for the alcoholic who suffered for this terrible illness. For me, like this just speaks to the process that, that I had to go through, except I was making new memories of alcoholic behavior while I was going through this process, but that's a separate topic, I guess. I don't know. We begin to detach when we identify the disease of alcoholism as the cause of the behavior. And so, you know, for me, for the resentments that came out of the alcoholic behavior, that I think was really key. I couldn't stop being angry at the person until I understood that the behavior was not hers exactly. It was the result of this disease and it was an effect of the disease. And, and that led me to start to be able to detach her from her disease. And I could then, I could then hate the disease, but I guess, I don't know. It seems like it's, it's harder to hold a grudge against alcoholism than it is to hold a grudge against the alcoholic. Is that, is that match your experience? I think that now it does, yeah. Now that I understand, yeah. I mean, now that I understand it's the disease and it's not necessarily her. My alcoholic used to say I was her trigger and my behavior was causing her to drink and I'm sure it was part uh, true. But someone said to me that, you know, Eric, you can't force anyone to do anything, especially to drink, unless you duct tape them down, pry open their mouth and dump it in. It's really, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I bought into it originally. You know, well, then I'll completely change, and then she'll stop being able to blame me. Eh, I didn't do anything. She found something else to, you know, the weather to, co- <laughs> to cause her discomfort enough to want to drink. But a couple of the quick things getting to the how to let go of. Forgiveness keeps coming up again and again and again the more I read and as, you know, a primary tool to, you know, to let go, to let go of resentment. And something from the Huffington Post is pretty cool. It says, uh, holding on to resentment is considered a way of punishing yourself or the other person. However, by carrying around these negative feelings, my rocks, in my case, you're hurting yourself because this drains your resources. Ultimately, you add more stress and anxiety to your mindset and physical body. The other really good reading is Psychology Today. Is good, the title is 10 Steps to Letting Go of Resentment. They're pretty good, and they pretty much speak to our program. You know, approach the approach resentment as the addictive state of mind it is. Uh, mm-hmm. Realize you're using resentment to replicate old dramas and acknowledge that you cannot change the past. Let go. Live for today, one day at a time. Acknowledge you cannot control those who have rejected you. Awareness, acknowledgement. Learn to identify signals that provoke resentment. The acronym HALT, widely used in 12-step programs. That's a good tool. 
Yeah, which remind us again, for people who may not be familiar with it? Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Yeah. In this case, anger is right there with resentment, you know. Yep. And practice uh, cognitive behavioral techniques to stop indulging in resentment. Put a thought between your feelings of resentment and indulging and ruminating about them. So pause, you know. Acknowledge your part in the following. Declare an amnesty with the person you resent and with yourself. And forgive when you can. You know, good. You know, that's a really good advice. And I that sentence about addiction to resentment, what did it say exactly? Approach resentment as the addictive state of mind it is. Yeah, yeah. People and, can get addicted to feeling like I want to get back at them, you know, and I still hurt. It's reliving it over and over and over. It's Groundhog Day, you know. <laughs> Groundhog Day, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and I don't know if they said it exactly. I heard this. Um, you know, wallowing in resentment or wallowing in a grudge. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that was the exact word they used, but that is that is definitely a thing. We just we go over it and we go over it and we go over it. Yeah, that's what Groundhog Day. Never mind. Okay, you said that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Continuing in the in how Eleanor works, learning about the disease, identifying the disease, understanding the symptoms of the disease was very helpful. And then finding compassion was the second part of, of that paragraph that for me was also key to letting go of my resentment of, of the actions, to letting go of my anger at, at the past. And the compassion also came from more understanding of the disease, seeing that you know, she too was struggling, she too was, was in pain. Um, and she was dealing with the pain in a different way than I was dealing with the pain. <laughs> but it was there. There's another one here, if I have another, another moment. Uh, another one is really kind of succinct, and it's from a website called Tidy Buddha. And it says, four powerful tips to reduce resentment and feel happier. Well, who doesn't want to do that? But, and the, the quote from Buddha says, those who are free of resentful thoughts surely find peace. And the steps that uh, are quoted here said, one, think loving thoughts for the person you resent. Two, check your motives and expectations. Three, be, be grateful. Four, stay open to different outcomes. And there's a lot more written about it, but boy, if you can just take away that, that would be pretty useful. Yeah. Okay. So this is where I bring in uh, my three little pithy sayings about uh, expectations, resentment, and forgiveness. So expectations, which you mentioned there, check your expectations, are premeditated resentments. So when I expect somebody to do something and they don't do it, boom, there's that resentment right there. I just saw today that this quote attributed to Nelson Mandela, I, I don't know if it's true or not, that resentment is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to get sick. I mean, just idea. Okay, I take poison and you're going to get sick. No, I'm going to get sick, right? And then the third one about forgiveness is forgiveness is letting go of the hope of a better yesterday. And if we turn that backwards, so resentment, I'm angry about something that already happened. I'm feeling it again. I'm a ressentir, right? I'm refeeling it. It happened. I can't change the fact that it happened. I can work on the way that it happened. I can still not be happy that it happened. I can still do my best to work to make it not happen again if it's a case of, particularly if it's a case of perhaps repeated behavior on the on the part of a loved one. 
I can take steps to set a boundary to not put myself in the position to be hurt by that behavior again. Uh, but I can't change the fact that it happened. And so by holding onto the poison of feeling that again and again and again, I'm only hurting myself. And, and to, to me, really, really knowing that helps with letting go of resentments. So this afternoon, you were talking about your meetings, and when we were going to record this show this morning, I was going to have to say, and this afternoon I'm going to this uh, circle at church where we're going to talk about forgiveness. Well, it's now after that circle where we talked about forgiveness, and a lot of these a lot of these issues came up as people talked about their own experience with forgiveness or not being able to forgive, you know, feeling again, being angry about things in the past. And one person, and this one really struck me because I hadn't made this connection before, but one person in the circle talked about anger at the at the end of a relationship and that there was anger, resentment mixed with grief. And that reminded me of a situation that, that I had experienced a while ago now where a friend abruptly ended our friendship and said, I, I, I can't, I can't spend any more time with you um, for reasons that made sense to them. And I've come to see over time some of my contribution to those reasons. What I realized was that I am still, to a lesser extent than I was at the time, but I'm still grieving. And when I, when I touch that memory, I still feel that. I don't feel it as strongly as I used to, but I still feel it. And that, that helps to fuel a continuing you know, not as strong as it used to be, but a continuing resentment about what happened. Even as I am working through the process on it, it's still it's still there. And of course, it's been a longer time. But um, the the anger, the resentments that I had against my loved one, the alcoholic who was in my life, when I touch those memories, they don't hurt. You know, they're not necessarily pleasant memories, but they don't hurt in the same way. And that's you know, that's letting go. That's forgiving and not forgetting, right? Like I, I don't put it out of my, I don't put it out of my past experience. It's still there, but I've been able to come to a place where it doesn't hurt anymore. And I think that is is part of the key in in letting go of resentments. And I don't know how it happens. I think it's it's the, it's the steps. It's the giving it over to a higher power. It's but it's also the understanding and compassion that really helped me to to take the sting out of the resentments that I had about what happened. I'm going to stop talking now. Let you talk. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, it is in fact a Nelson Mandela quote. I looked it up while you were droning on. <laughs> <laughs> After my story about the Colorado trip, you were allowed to uh, to speak for as long as you wanted to. Um, resentment is like drinking poison and then hoping it will kill your enemies. Was his exact. There you go. Great. And um, I have some other cool quotes here, and I think this might be a good place for it. Is that what do sure. you think? Yeah. I like looking up what other smart people say on certain subjects. This is a good one. I like this. Someone named Theodore Dalrymple. I don't know who that is, but he says, considering the importance of resentment in our lives and the damage it does, it receives scant attention from psychiatrists and psychologists. Resentment is a great rationalizer. It presents us with selected versions of our own past so that we do not recognize our own mistakes and avoid the necessity the necessity to make painful choices. Mm. A lot a lot there. Yeah. But interesting. Yeah. And uh another is uh a good one here is someone more 
recognizable, I think. Dale Carnegie says, our fatigue is often caused not by work, but by worry, frustration, and resentment. Pretty good. And then Joan London says, holding on to anger, resentment, and hurt only gives you the tense muscles, a headache, and a sore jaw from clenching your teeth. Forgiveness gives you back the laughter and the lightness in your life. Again, forgiveness. You know, a lot of the quotes talk about mm-hmm. forgiveness mm-hmm. as a remedy for uh, for resentment. And that, that reminds me that when she talks about tension, one of the people this afternoon mentioned the you know, the physical tension that comes from that sort of anger and resentment and that releasing that physical tension is sort of one of the outcomes of finding forgiveness. And I think forgiveness is, is an, it's an antidote, if not the opposite of, of resentment. A friend of mine recounted an experience that they had with their, their alcoholic loved one where they one day said, you know, you always do this thing. And their loved one responded, I haven't done it in six months. And to me, this is an illustration of the blindness that a resentment can bring. If I have a resentment against my loved one for a behavior, I may be blind to the change that is actually happening. And I might find myself, and I don't think I found myself exactly in that position, but I I think I have recognized that at times when I find myself saying to myself, yeah, she always does this thing. And then recognizing that, well, actually, no, she doesn't. And, and holding the resentment can keep me blind to that change and, and to the good thing that's actually happening there. Yeah. It's just reliving it over and over and it's unhealthy and it just makes my life heavy. I'm so glad we spoke about it. It's really helpful. When I start feeling a feeling that I don't like, it's really helpful for me to do something like this, go to meetings, share about it, and uh, it relieves some of the burden. Uh, That's what we're here for. That is what we're here for. You got a closing quote for us? Okay. So this is uh, what I'm striving for, is if I feel resentments, to move on from them quickly. It's not that I won't ever have them again is that uh, hopefully with the tools, they pass more quickly. So this is someone named Lawrence Levasek. says, strength of character means the ability to overcome resentment against others, to hide hurt feelings, and to forgive quickly. So we did pick some music for this episode, and the first one that, that I chose, it's called Resentment. It was kind of obvious. I looked it up in Wikipedia, and it turns out the song is written by Walter Millsap III, Candace Nelson and Curtis Mayfield, which at least a couple of those names I recognize. It was originally performed by Victoria Beckham, which, what? <laughs> yeah. Apparently wasn't released, or not until later. Anyway, it says it's a ballad whose lyrics detail a situation where a woman feels hurt and anger that her man lied and cheated on her. The rendition that I have chose to put on the website at therecovery.show slash 196 is by Beyonce. I think she was the person who who first actually released the song. And some lyrics here. I can only give you a hard time because I can't go on and pretend like I haven't tried to forget this, but I'm much too full of resentment. Just can't seem to get over the way you hurt me. Don't know how you gave another who didn't mean a thing, no. The very thing you gave to me. I thought I could forgive you, and I know you've changed. As much as I want to trust you, I know it ain't the same, and it's all because you lied. And so she's she she's trying to get past it, but she can't. 
she's still holding that resentment. So check that out on the website, therecovery.show slash 196. In this next section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in our meetings and our lives this week. How was your week, Eric? Like I said, you know, because of these feelings of resentment that have been stirring up, and I don't think they've been coincidental, some opportunity for me to uh, learn something. And so, busy week for um, for meetings and recovery for me, starting with last Saturday, the topic of feelings, someone brought up which we did a podcast on, mm-hmm. and it was really, uh, really good, good meeting. Boy, I, I wrote a lot of little notes. I carry a, a little uh, notepad with me to my meetings, and I take notes. Uh, stoic, actually, is a word that was used as a feeling to describe how someone was before finding, you know, and doing their inventory and really defining the feeling in more depth. And I hadn't, we didn't touch on that in our, in our shares about it, but it's a good word. To describe kind of shutting down. Then had a second Saturday meeting where someone led on. The topic was a little vague, but he kind of put it as out of sight, out of mind. As his son or daughter was no longer living under his roof, you know, why does it keep coming to meetings kind of thing. And uh, really a good meeting. You know, these these feelings that we experience living with the disease don't, don't disappear uh, overnight. No, they don't. And if, even if it's not that, that we're trying to get rid of those feelings, the points came up again and again that this is just using these tools in this program. It's just a better way to live regardless of what's going on around us with alcoholism, addiction, or life. You know, There's always something in life that's going to try to throw us off. So the tools of this program can help in, in all our affairs. Let's see. Wednesday uh, was a great meeting on what is it and what does it mean to us, each of us. And the uh, Thursday, my home group uh, was a great meeting. The topic was when the student is ready, the teacher appears. It really led to a lot of great discussion about being willing to accept help, asking for help, remembering to say thank you, and being ready. And that was a great meeting. Leading by example, I highlighted. Teacher is appearing more and more often in my life, you know, not just Mm -hmm. once, but all day long. I'm finding if I'm awake and aware, there's lessons to be learned. And I could be more humble. I could be more supportive. I could be more, um, I could listen better. And I could lose some of my blame, fear, and resentment when it crops up and try to find a tool that would help me to not suffer with those feelings. I wrote down a great phrase that I'm sure you've heard. I'll repeat it. That uh, was talked about. It says, I cannot think myself into good acting. My best thinking got me here. But I can, (laughs) yeah, but I can act myself into good thinking. And uh, that ties right into what we do here. This program is to try to act as if until it grabs hold. Saturday, uh, this morning, yesterday morning was the topic was vulnerability. And uh, boy, that's a great one. And I don't know if you've ever done one, but it led to a lot of really interesting discussion. I don't think I have. Yep, vulnerability. And I shared that, you know, I used to uh, just, you know, I I wore an armored vest, armored suit, because I I felt when I opened up my armor, I got stabbed in the heart. So I just chose to, you know, put on lead lined clothing. And uh, but what the problem with that is it keeps things in also, then not just keeping out the pain, but it bottles in the pain as well. And um, 
asking for help is part of being vulnerable. And that's in the rooms is where, you know, I wrote down, I had to learn, you know, when and with whom that uh, I can be vulnerable. And that awareness, you know, was only after coming to the rooms and trying to be uh, vulnerable to family and friends about this disease just proved again and again that uh, was just uh, punishingly um, ineffective, you know, because they didn't understand it like people in the rooms do. And uh, so this morning um, was step three. My 12 and 12 group was uh, on step three, and that was a really good one, too. Um, I shared it about briefly about the letter I got from my daughter. And, you know, what I pray for is that, uh, you know, God help, God bless her and change me. And I really felt that uh, my higher power was living in her backpack, you know, while she's out there and uh, for six weeks. Uh, and just the things she wrote to me in this letter were just incredibly stunning, you know, that you know, she replaced all these feelings, see, you know, senses with I statements. Mm. You know, I, I am natural. I am the wind in the rocks, whistling through the rocks. I am pastel fields of green and uh, I am nature. I'm the predator. I'm the prey. And she finished with, I am present. Huh. Wow. I mean, I just, I just teared up uh, reading this five page letter she wrote to me about her coming to a place where she's finding a power greater than herself. And it's nature. And it's been that way for me for a long time. You know, I look to nature when I need some guidance uh, and be reminded of something that's just so much more powerful than me. That's that was my week. Yeah, that's pretty yep. cool. Yep. How about so, you? Yeah. Um, last Sunday evening, uh, the topic of the meeting that meeting often goes off a daily reader topic unless somebody has something they want to talk about. So this was March nineteenth. The reading starts. I came to Al-Anon with a compulsion to focus on other people. I had a clear idea of how everyone should behave in every situation and felt very self-righteous when they didn't follow my rules of conduct. And then, today, I still have to be vigilant about minding my own business. I know that when my thoughts begin with, he should, or she shouldn't, I am probably in trouble. I don't have the answers for other people. I don't make the rules for appropriate behavior, good business conduct, driver courtesy, or common sense. I don't know what is best for others. <laughs> oh, do I identify with that reading? Oh, Where do we start? Yeah. I, I just like, uh, I'm almost embarrassed how much I identify with that reading. Mm -hmm. um, because even though I know, I have learned that I'm not in control, I am still the guy that's like, why are you driving in the left lane under the speed limit? And why are you passing me on the right at 80 miles an hour? And I, I mean, the, the high, just being on the highway just gets me going. Okay. Just saying, um, you know, you didn't signal for your left turn. Um, all these things like drivers. Okay. Um, but there, you know, there are other situations where the same thing, like you're in the 12 items only lane with 13 items, get the hell out of it. Except at least I don't act on those feelings anymore. I still have them. I was a little resentful. <laughs> yeah. A little bitter. I'm obeying all these rules. So should you. Yeah, let me just drive your car. Okay. Can I just do that for you, please? You schmuck. Yeah. 
<laughs> so uh, it was it was a it was a perfect reading for me, and uh, a lot of other people identified with it as well. And one person said, uh, "You know, I come from a country where we drive on the other side of the road. I might be the person you're mad at for driving slow in the left lane." <laughs> like, right? Thank you for that reminder. That. I don't know what's going on in somebody else's head. I don't know why they're acting the way they're acting. And it might make perfect sense from their perspective. It might be exactly, you know, what they need to be doing. I mean, not driving in the left lane at 40 miles an hour, but, um, yeah, stop that. Okay. Judgmental only a little bit. Yeah. And my meeting yesterday was also step three. Uh, was a good meeting. Um, I don't think I have any pearls of wisdom to share from it, but. It's it's a good step to visit. It's a good step for me to hear how other people practice that step um, because it's one that I still have a little difficulty with at times. I want to be in control. Oh, as evidenced by this, I think I should control how other people behave thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> those two just go together. I didn't even realize it because they were six days apart, but they really do go together, don't they? Um, and, uh, I think I talked a couple of weeks ago about my kid calling with some existential despair about their lives being out of control and, and being able to share some, some program wisdom with them and some, some things that I had actually learned in church that morning where my higher power was obviously talking straight to me through the, through the sermon and knowing, knowing that I would need it later that same day. And they called today and they're feeling much better and they're, they're getting some, spiritual help into their lives, which uh, I think is a good thing. So things do work out even when I'm not in charge, or maybe especially when I'm not in charge. Existential despair. I got to remember that one. They said, my heart hurts, <laughs> is what they said. My heart hurts. Uh, okay. All right. And uh, I get it. Yeah. Mm. Well, I am familiar with that disease. <laughs> yeah. Despair. That kind of despair. Yeah. Upcoming topics. Uh, include Alateine uh, parenting. I've gotten some emails and I think maybe a voicemail about parenting, also about obsessive thinking. Not the same episode. Those three three different episodes. Um, I did touch base again with some Alateine people at the conference I was at a couple of weeks ago, and so I'm going to move forward to getting them on the show. We welcome your thoughts. Uh, if you have Alateine experience, I'd love to hear from you. Or uh, parenting, parenting as the non-alcoholic parent, or parenting uh, children who are alcoholics or addicts, or at least acting that way. And, of course, obsessive thinking is another thing that many of us are prone to, including me. So, love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us a voicemail or send us an email. And I want to thank people, as I think I said already, but I want to thank again those of you who have already sent shares on some of these topics because I am grateful for them and I will use them. And that's why I'm not including them in these shows as we go along because I want to put them together into those particular shows. So, Eric, how can people send us feedback? You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now to 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecovery.show or visit our contact page at therecovery.show slash contact for all the details. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope 
or your questions about today's topic of resentment or any of our upcoming topics. If you have a topic you'd like to talk about, let us know. And uh, we've already mentioned the website, therecovery.show, which has all the information about the show, which includes notes for each episode, an occasional blog, links to the music we talk about. And also, I want to ask uh, Eric to send me links to those readings that you had from uh, Psychology Today and, and those websites that sure. that you shared from, so we can put links right there in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 196. And Eric has picked a song for us here. Yes. Uh, I waffled back and forth a little bit. Uh, I first was looking at Inside Out by Eve Six. Pretty angry song. Uh, <laughs> but I settled on another favorite. I've covered both of these songs. Uh, I, I record. But this one is by Matchbox 20. And boy, uh, <laughs> it's got a lot of bitterness in it. And this is the name of the song is Disease. Interesting title, but I'm just, I just looked up something about it. It says disease is, uh, the title is a metaphor. The girl herself in the song, or at least the feelings he has for her is the real disease. She's bad for him and he's trying to cure himself of her and hope someday to be free of her destruction. So some of the lyrics say, uh, feel like, uh, you've made a mistake. You've made someone's heartbreak, but now I have to let you go. I have to let you go. You left a stain on every one of my good days, but I'm stronger than you know. I have to let you go. And interesting, it says, I've got a disease. It doesn't say you have a disease. I have a disease. The last, uh, this is pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. And this is a lot of anger, a lot of bitterness in this song. Feels like you're making a mess. You're hell on wheels in a black dress. You drove me to the fire and left me there to burn. I'm wow. sure that... <laughs> I know that I identify with those feelings. Um, yeah, and I can, I can, I can place exactly in time when I recorded this song because that's exactly how I was feeling. <laughs> I see. <laughs> it was about five years ago. <laughs> yeah, I would, and I would love to uh, include that cover, but yeah, um, it is somebody else's song, uh, and and I'm not going to take the uh, the potential copyright hit by doing that. But I will put the Matchbox Twenty song in the show notes. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Okay, we got some emails this week. Um, Maybe you could read the first one. Uh, An email titled, Thank You. I only recently discovered you when I searched Al-Anon on podcasts. Yesterday, we listened to uh, two episodes in our our car on a trip. Wow, I really want to hear a parenting episode. I'm not clear if you've recently done a show about this or if you're about to. I'm the mother of an advanced alcoholic. Can you tell me how to find this episode if you have done it? I can't find it with search, Jennifer. Yeah, thanks, Jennifer. And we did a long time ago. Episode 22 was a roundtable with, I think, four parents of children at various ages, at various stages of recovery, talking about their experience, strength, and hope. So you may find that helpful, episode 22 at therecovery.show slash 22. And we are talking about doing one or two new episodes. Uh, One, as I said, one about being the non-alcoholic parent in a relationship and the other about being the parent of an alcoholic or addict. 
but but those aren't out yet. But episode 22 is there if you want to check it out. Hey, a question for you regarding the upcoming. Will you have, uh, uh, I think you mentioned, some Alateen sponsors on that second one? I'm actually talking about doing a, a, a separate Alateen program. Um, okay. And I'm in touch with one Alateen sponsor and a person who was in Alateen and, and is now an adult. Uh, or maybe I can have the, the Alateen sponsor bring along some members. But I, for personal reasons uh, of not wanting to deal with potential liability, I'm asking mm-hmm. that whatever people come are at least 18 years old. Right. Uh, but they can talk about you know their past experience, hopefully. So that's what I want to do, and I, I just don't have the details set up yet. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, for me, I mean, I'd love to hear some Alateen sponsors talk about, you know, dealing with teens that are living in the disease and having a parent or parents that are both addicts or alcoholics. And, you know, that to me is talking to me as a parent, you know, how a sponsor in a meeting with other teens, you know, what they talk about, what they uh, discuss and, Mm. you know, and how it works, you know, that's a direct tie to kind of what I was asking about. That's a good idea. Yeah. That, Ask ask that ask that yeah. sort of question, I guess, when I'm talking mm-hmm. to yeah. the sponsor. And of course, so just to extend this discussion a little bit, uh, I have I've worked with teens, not with necessarily teens who are living in an alcoholic family, but I've worked with high school age teens for a number of years at my church, and there is a difference. And you understand, I'm sure, there is a difference between working with teenagers who are not your own children. And working with your own children, <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, that that the the youth are much more open with adults who are not their parents. Yeah. Um, but still, I think you're right. There's some wisdom there that that uh, you could bring home. Yep. So, I got an email from Emily who writes, Spencer. I very much enjoyed the "What is Alanon" episode more than I thought I would. I love hearing about how much Alanon can vary from area to area. In my area, not many of the Al-Anons are double winners. I've heard that the AA attendees are nervous about attending because they have the impression that we are trying to change them. I had a good laugh about that. <laughs> I do occasionally attend AA meetings, not because I'm an alcoholic, but because that I find that it contributes to my program considerably by giving me hope and compassion for the alcoholics in my life. And I love the fellowship of the AA slash Al-Anon programs. The AA old-timers here are very touchy about keeping meetings strictly about alcohol. However, the Al-Anon meetings are open to friends and families of those suffering from other addictions, and I am so grateful for that, because when I came in a year ago, my number one qualifier at that time was my husband, and he was an alcoholic and a drug addict. And if I had been turned away because his main addiction at that time was drugs and not alcohol, I may not have come back. To me, substance abuse is substance abuse, maybe not for the addict themselves. But for the friends and family, we are all the same. This leads me to my other point of discussion. When I first came into the program, what I really needed was Al-Anon to cope with the current alcoholic addict in my life, the man I chose to marry. Once I started learning the basic concepts in Al-Anon, got a sponsor, and started working the steps, I started delving a little deeper. I was raised with one alcoholic parent and one para-alcoholic parent. Not sure what she means by that. Hmm, Interesting expression. And a friend in the program suggested that he might start an ACOA meeting. I read the laundry list and the flip side of the laundry list, and I was floored. 
We started the only ACOA meeting in our area, and I have been attending ever since. Al-Anon has helped me change my behavior and gave me a wealth of recovery resources to improve my life. ACOA has helped me understand why my behavior got that way. It has been a slow-going road because it is delicate work, but it is so incredibly rewarding, and it supports my Al-Anon recovery with every step. When I can't make an in-person meeting, I turn to www.intherooms.com and sit in on any of the meetings. They are all open. Any kind of recovery helps my recovery along. Thanks, Emily. And wow, thanks, Emily. And thanks for um, particularly for um, giving us your personal experience about how ACOA helps you differently from how Al-Anon helps you. Because the episode, um, how what 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 is Al-Anon? The one that I played last week. Um, we talked a little bit about our indirect experience with ACOA through friends, but um, it's great to have that that direct experience. Yep. Oh, and she also mentions intherooms.com, which is the place that I have gone to a couple of online meetings when I couldn't get to an in-person meeting. Um, and it also has a an online forum and some other resources that uh, um, people may find helpful, if, particularly if, if your area is lacking in resources. Okay, so this is from Penelope. It says, Dear Spencer and co-hosts, thank you for your podcast. And really enjoy your program, and it's, it is very helpful between my weekly meetings. I've enjoyed all the topics you've covered, and I hope you can do one about adult children sometime. Keep up the good work. Sincerely, Penelope. And I could do one about adult children if I could get maybe a couple of adult children to co-host with me, um, and with me being the mostly silent host because I'm not one. But that that's a great idea. And and I actually I've got some some previous co-hosts who are adult children, so maybe um, one or more of them will will step up and we can do it. That would be awesome. Yep, good idea. All right, Tim sent thanks, dear Spencer. May your higher power bless you. Thank you so much for producing the recovery show. This letter to you is a few months in the making because I have a number of thoughts I want to share with you, and it might seem all over the map. A little background information about myself: I recently turned forty-seven years old. I'm Asian and gay. Over 10 years ago, I had a year and a half relationship with a recovering alcoholic. He had over 15 years in recovery at the time. I didn't understand the disease of alcoholism. I couldn't understand how people cannot control their drinking. I could. It's a matter of mind and willpower, so I thought. In the year and a half I was with him, I was dragged into his hell. He would explode for no reason. He would do illegal and illogical things. He got away with it because he was rich. His wealth gave him the air of being invincible. He manipulated me and controlled me. I didn't realize it. His gorilla, as you described it in one of your podcasts, dragged me into his cage. I was trapped and didn't know it. I didn't know what to do. I did everything I could to please him. Nothing was good enough. Rules of engagement constantly changed at his whim. He walked in and out of my life three times. My spirit was low and my life felt unmanageable. My parents noticed and asked me what was going on. I decided to come out to them and tell them the entire story. I didn't get support from them. Instead, they threw me out of their lives. I started seeing a therapist and he recommended Al-Anon to me. I wasn't sure if it was for me. I wasn't ready. So in the 10 years that followed, I did everything I could to try to fit in with other people. I lost my values while pleasing people because I didn't want to be alone. I drank with them. I went along even though I didn't want to. I did things to please them and when they got what they wanted, they went away. I'm very ashamed of the things I did. And then a couple of years ago, I met another guy. 
In addition to his daytime profession, he was also an ordained minister, so naturally I believed in his goodness. Wrong. He couldn't go through a day without drinking. Still, I didn't have the knowledge to recognize that he is an extremely high-functioning alcoholic. He treated me as less than a human being and used my feeling at his whim and pleasure. So finally last year, January 2016, I decided to stop drinking for a period of time. It's been over a year since I had a drink and I feel good. I came to the realization that his disease and other people's alcoholic and addiction diseases have truly affected me in the last 25 years of my life. So I decided to go to an Al-Anon meeting in August 2016. I'm still a newbie in Al-Anon. I'm finally able to admit that I too need recovery. The sharings in my local Al-Anon meetings seem to be my life story. When I think about them, it brings me to tears. I had no idea others were dealing with the same things I were and am. The meetings and your recovery podcast really help. I came to acknowledge that my life is unmanageable and I need the help of a higher power. That sometimes is your podcast, your soothing voice, and the attendees in my Al-Anon meeting. Through your podcast, I learned that I also have codependency issues as a result of growing up in my family. I wonder if the codependency led me to having relationships with addicts and alcoholics. Will I ever be okay? Not sure. Am I in recovery? Some days I feel like I am. Some days I feel like I've taken many steps back and my life is still out of control. However, I am very thankful for Al-Anon and the program. Thank you, Spencer. And I just want to add, as Spencer, I just want to add in thank you to everybody else who helps me with this recovery podcast and brings their own experience, strength, and hope to it, like like Eric here. Thank you, Eric. Oh, wow. Um, so ask me if I identified with anything in that. <laughs> Did you identify with anything in that? <laughs> Pretty much everything except being Asian and gay. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Almost everything else. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, the feelings for sure. The feelings. Wow. Yeah. As as um, Emily said in her letter, the feelings are the same. Yeah. Um, so thanks, thanks, Tim, for writing. Um, and... I, as always, am grateful to hear that we're providing some measure of help. You mentioned Gorilla uh, that you've mentioned in there, and uh, you can choose to use this or not, but uh, someone the other day said, uh, you know, my uh, alcoholic gave me an elephant uh, for my birthday to put in my room. Oh. And I said, oh, thank you. And she said, don't mention it. <laughs> oh yeah 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 the gorilla I, you probably remember the gorilla story it was father tom's uh metaphor that you know your loved one is yeah. in the cage uh quote dancing with the gorilla yeah yeah well the elephant was living in my you yes. know house for a long time and and no one saw it you know thank you don't mention it <laughs> don't mention <That's> awesome <laughs> love it oh hey you want to read the uh it doesn't cost you anything part it doesn't cost you anything to listen to the recovery show, but we do have expenses, which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Michael, Penelope, and Lucy did. We've put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link at the top of the page. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. In fact, anything you order from Amazon after clicking on one of the links will help us. I wish I'd known that two weeks ago. You would have been okay. rich. <laughs> it costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give. Whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, just direct them to the recovery.show, or just listening to us. We're here for you. Thanks. And our 
last song selection is one. I thought I should pick one about letting go and forgiveness uh, as sort of, you know, the antidote to, to resentment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, of course, Googled because that's what we do these days, isn't it? Yeah. I, uh, I Googled songs about letting go, songs about forgiveness, something like that. And this was one of the ones that came up as highly recommended. It's called Miracle of the Moment, and it's by Stephen Curtis Chapman, who I really I don't think I'd heard of before, but I really like the song. And lyrics here, because the lyrics for me say it. It's time for letting go all of our if-onlys, because we don't have a time machine. And even if we did, would we really want to use it? Would we really want to change everything? Because we are who and where and what we are for now. And this is the only moment we can do anything about. So, like, that verse just encapsulates so much of what I learned in this program. You know, just for the just for today, um, there's a there's something about um, the moment, live in the moment. I don't know. Um, you know that the only thing I can change is what's happening now. I can't go back and change the past, and I really only have control over myself. And so, and would I want to go back and change everything? Because there's a lot of good in what I have now, even if if there's still some pain. Anyway, and then I think this is the the chorus. So breathe it in and breathe it out and listen to your heartbeat. There's a wonder in the here and now. It's right there in front of you. I don't want you to miss the miracle of the moment. And that to me speaks to the practices that I've learned in this program of prayer and meditation, of being right here, right now in the moment and being open to what's going to come. Yeah, this one, uh, this one I just wrote, you know, resentments won't change anything except my serenity, which will be compromised. So is it really worth my serenity? Yeah. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. My understanding, love, and peace growing you one day at a time.